American Christianity seems to be so focused on the outward world. It's time we turn our attention back to the inner world because it's in our hearts and our minds where everything begins. This is why we are the Ministry of the Interior. like to welcome everybody back to Ministry of the Interior. And I again would like to share with you the reason why we are doing this podcast. We are doing it to encourage other Christians to continue on in their walk with Jesus Christ. It seems that Christendom in America is so focused on outward things and focused on an outward enemy which we do have an outward enemy. The Bible says we wage war not against flesh and blood, but against the principles and the powers in the heavenly places. And Ministry of the Interior seeks to turn people's attention back to the inner world, the spiritual world, and to walk hand in hand with Jesus Christ. And today, we're going to get down to the gut punches, Corey. (laughs) straight to the gut punches and attitude adjustment is what we all need myself included and i hope that everyone can hear when i say this that you know every preacher says that the first person they preach to is themselves and hopefully that is the truth Mm -hmm. Um, all the messages that that are prepared first they must reach down into my own heart before I can tell anyone else. And I always think about what it says in James about about the strict standard that teachers are held to. So I know how dangerous this is for me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, our text today for attitude adjustment will be Philippians chapter two, verses one to 18. And, um, Philippians is probably my favorite book in the Bible. I had, it became my favorite book in the Bible while I was working uh, at the psych hospital and kind of wandering at the time. I had already finished my degree and was trying to find a place to be a full-time minister. But it was kind of a struggle for me to do that. And so I had to find another place to work. And so I was caught in this struggle. Hey, I did all this to become this for you, Jesus, but it ain't working out. It is what, if I recall, one of my prayers. And then something came to me to start reading Philippians every day. And something had touched my heart saying, you know, as Jesus said, you know, seek God's kingdom first. So I tried to seek God's kingdom right where I was and try to encourage those around me. And that is just about my whole philosophy with with everything I do when it comes to ministry. Uh, About how long ago would you say that was that uh, you fell in love with Philippians? About uh, 2012, 
2013 around that area. Um, you know, sometimes things don't, don't work out the way that we want them, but no matter how things are going for us, we still have a commitment to walk with Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. No matter what happens, because we are told to hold on to the faith until the very end and we will receive the crown of life. So that's what we hope to do here at Modi, to encourage other Christians to hold on for dear life. <laughs> And before we dive into this, like Ricky said, I hope this never comes across as us preaching at people or teaching at people. Um, I, I can pretty much guarantee that <laughs> I am reflecting on this and learning more about myself and learning things I need to work on and learning what I need to improve on just after one episode. Um, so I am definitely growing, um, learning myself. Um, and I, I, I think that's part of the name ministry of the interior. That's what it's about. Greatly put brother, greatly put. I'd like to lead us in a short word of prayer as we turn our minds and hearts toward the throne of grace. Lord and Father, we come before you acknowledging you as God and King and creator of all that we see. We know that you hold all of our lives in your hand. And we pray as you promise in James that anyone who asks of you for wisdom, that you give it freely without finding fault. We ask you for wisdom. We ask you, Lord, for patience. We ask you, Lord, that our hearts would be soft, that we would be able to turn our inner eye, to turn our hearts, to participate in the divine nature, that you've laid great and wonderful promises before us. But we always wage war with the flesh. We pray that our spirits would be quickened and strengthened so that we may walk in the steps that you have ordained for us. Please be with us at this time. Leave with our brothers and sisters all around the world who are carrying the banner of faith, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We ask this in his precious name. Amen. Amen. Our text today, Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, going to 18. But before I read that, I want to read... Romans 12. Romans 12 has a lot going on in it. But I wanted to read this key part right here at the beginning of Romans 12. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because all he has done for you, because of all he has done for you. Let them be, let your bodies be a living and holy sacrifice. The kind he, God, will find acceptable. This is truly the way we worship him, by being a living sacrifice. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, 
but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. I don't want to stamp that out there right there. Don't be like the world. You know, sometimes we get caught up being like the world, trying to be friends with the world, trying to make a deluded form of Christianity. But we need to be different, totally different. We have to be. Not only for the salvation of our souls, but the salvation of others. Somebody that you don't know yet. There's, there's one thing my grandmother always used to tell me. Whenever I got into the ministry, she said, you don't know. Whenever you're having those difficulties in your faith and you feel like you're just barely holding on, you don't know who you're holding on for. Hmm. Until the later on, because we, the, we are these fixed finite beings living in space-time. We can't see the future, but we know somebody who does, right? Well, as far as having others see us um, and see the way we live and it not be the way the world lives, living your life, living it Christ-like and others seeing that, seeing a Christ-like love in your life is going to draw more people um, to him than anything else that you're just going to go out and say. Um, living a true, authentic, Christ-like loving life is a just so much more powerful than someone going out and telling like, hey, to be a good Christian, do this, do that, do this. No, like show it in your works, show it in that life that you live, show it in every single interaction that you have with every person. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm perfect. I I, I, I walk away sometimes from an interaction I have with somebody and just like embarrassed and ashamed and just knowing I, I was having a bad day, a bad moment. And I'm, I might not have even gotten like an attitude with somebody, but it just wasn't right. It wasn't, I didn't leave that moment um, showing a Christ-like love. And I think that's just so powerful to people, especially non-believers. When they see, wow, this, this person is showing a real authentic love, like that resonates, that, that, that's powerful. Um, and I, that's what it takes um, to reach people in a true, authentic, non-shallow way. Yes. You know, um, it's, kind of, it's kind of a weird situation because we're, all of us have that calling to live a certain way, but we fall. And then we get in those type of situations where, let's say a person has gotten to a level where a certain struggle is no longer a struggle for them anymore. And they see someone else struggling with it and they want to help them. Sometimes, you know, it takes wisdom in them situations, you know, to be that help. And it takes wisdom in those situations to know, you know, as you said, 
and this happened to me, you know, it happens to me as well, um, where, you know, you, you didn't do it right. You could improve. And there's nothing really, there's nothing wrong with that because no, I don't believe that any of us ever going to get to that level mm-hmm. while we are alive, but we still can move in the direction, yeah. um, you know, of, of improvement. And I, I believe that we all should, we should hunger and thirst for righteousness, you know, for that improvement to be just like Jesus Christ. And there's always a danger of, you know, as knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Mm. We all have to be grounded in love. And while we're talking about the interactions that we have with people, we have to have the right attitude. And it's right in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. And he was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I am away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining the bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then, on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. But I will rejoice, even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God. 
just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share in that joy. Yes, you should rejoice. And I will share in your joy. And it seems like these texts just preach themselves to me. They don't they don't need no commentator. <laughs> yeah, some of the it, it, there's not a lot of complexity there to unpack, but man, sometimes it's the simplest, most upfront things that are the most powerful. Let's let's start at the beginning. Let's unpack it just a little bit. All right. Paul starts with a question. He says, is there any encouragement from belonging in Christ? I'm sure I'm sure all of us can answer yes. Yes to that question. Any comfort in his love? You, you know, we've all been we've had bad things happen. I talked last week about uh, whenever we were trying to leave China and we had five days to leave. And, and everything came together. Our brothers and sisters in Christ came together and helped us make it back home. Uh, that was a great comfort. I mean, I cried. I cried. <laughs> yeah, I can only imagine. Um, and a fellowship together in the spirit. We, we having that right now. Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Now, sometimes that needs a little work. Because <laughs> uh, I'm sure every one of us uh, uh, thinks that a couple of folks might need to be thumped upside the head. <laughs> and maybe it's uh, maybe it's your job to thump them. I'm just going to tell you the truth on that one. I want to get in a tangent. <laughs> All right. Um. Christians work in certain jobs. Christians work in, you know, in the military or Christians being police officers or Christians being in any type of position where they have to have some sort of authority. Mm -hmm. And I struggled with this for a long time because you see how we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be tenderhearted. We're supposed to love people. Um, from our perspective, you know, don't do anything to harm somebody else. This is just this is just my perspective, not trying mm -hmm. to project it on everybody else, and just a struggle that I went through. And working working at the prison, I was put in situations where I had to administer discipline. Because if I didn't administer discipline, I would be enabling that type of bad behavior. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to you know make that distinction. And I, I ask God to give me wisdom to be able to make that distinction if he puts me in, you know, positions of of authority, like just like that in the prison. I don't know. What what do you think about uh, that? Well, I, I think it's on multiple levels even. Uh, so that's like a big position of um, uh, relaying discipline. Um, but you can even go smaller. Uh, just in parenting. Um, yeah. if, if I did not teach using discipline, uh, like I did moments before this podcast began, uh, <laughs> a lesson is not going to be learned, but to do it 
from a tender heart perspective, from a, a compassionate angle, and be able to explain why, why there is this discipline, why I am, why we have this rule. Um, and to do it from a teaching angle with just full of compassion and just trying to make a young mind um, understand why this is happening. Um, and I think us as humans, we, uh, we, we tend to be like my child, like, why, why am I going through this? Why, why am, why am I facing this trial? Why, what did I do to deserve this? Um, but it's like you talked about, and I mentioned earlier with, with discipline, a lot of times, um, you are going through something, you are learning something. Um, and that's where that tender and tenderness and compassion comes in. I keep thinking about uh, Jesus learned obedience through suffering. And, you know, a little later on in a couple of other episodes, we'll talk about adversity and, and how to make it through adversity. But, you know, there's just something to us as human beings that it's that suffering that that really hammers in that lesson there. 100%. Now, Paul laid out a couple of questions that hopefully, you know, most of us answered the question yes to. And he was speaking to the church in Philippi, asking them to make them truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and one purpose. And we, we, we see throughout history how, you know, churches have split over doctrinal issues. I mean, really kind of complicated things. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think about what, what Paul said. He says, stay away from these arguments and things like that. You know, those people that are always engaged in arguments, there's something wrong with them. So stay away from them mm -hmm. and start focusing on the sole goal of go and make disciples, teaching them all I have commanded you to do. The Great Commission. And that's the one thing that we have on our mind. We want people to experience and to, to participate in the divine nature. And so Paul tells us all that we need to be working together. We need to love one another. We need to be of one mind and of one purpose. And then he goes into something that seems pretty simple. Don't be selfish. Hmm. Why, why do people not want to work together? Well, they selfish. Selfish about what? Don't try to impress others. During that culture back then, uh, in the Greco-Roman culture, you know, people that were great speakers, they they would sell out crowds. You know, just imagine anybody else that's a well-known guru in in our culture today, and it was just like that back in those times. And then some people might uh, they see this Christian stuff, and there's a lot of people coming to it, just like uh, Simon the Sorcerer. Um, they have ulterior motives rather than just trying to preach the gospel of Christ. Mm. So we, we shouldn't be trying to impress other people. We should be based, I guess you should say. There you go. Yeah. But in being based, we should be humble. And being humble is simply not having an overinflated opinion of oneself mm -hmm. 
that's kind that, of hard, right right <laughs> yeah that uh that ego it can it can get you fast um and get you in trouble fast too you know the hubris i believe is the word especially um you know what was going on in the garden that word hubris that overinflated sense of self-worth be humble thinking of others better than yourself you know in our, in our culture right now we have uh it's kind of ingrained in us to to maximize the faults of others minimize our own mm-hmm. and also maximize um you know some of the things within ourself mm-hmm. whenever you're writing that resume you want to pad that resume mm-hmm. you want to make yourself look good and that's the interview is always the hardest part for me <laughs> tell me why how great you are and tell me how you have no faults yeah i know it just feels weird to me yeah i want to talk about the screw tape letters before we go Oh, okay. It's one of my favorite books. It is a work of satire. Uh, but there are a lot of theological principles within that book there. And I'm trying to pull up this quote. It's one of my favorite quotes. Hopefully, it'll come up. Man, this, while you're while you're looking that up, I I have not thought about the screw tape letters in quite a while. I think it was the first C.S. Lewis work that I was exposed to. Um, that that book, the first time I heard about it is whenever I joined the Adventures Missions Program back in '06, and even while I was there, I still didn't read it. Mm-hmm. I didn't read it until. Like it was composition two in college, and I was probably about 25 at the time. Mm. I finally read it, and I was just absolutely blown away. First off, from the like mental position that C.S. Lewis had to put himself mm-hmm. in. But if anybody doesn't know what the screw tape letters is, it's a it's a book written by C.S. Lewis where two demons are corresponding with one another on how to tempt and destroy, ultimately destroy human beings. And so whenever he reversed that perspective there, it kind of, you know, as I say, perspective is one of the greatest gifts that you can give to someone. Mm -hmm. And from that different perspective of demons talking about how to tempt other human beings, I guess it taps into that, uh, you know, that nature that we have, that if we know how the enemy is thinking or know what the enemy is doing it it energizes us to to try to resist it a little bit more oh yeah it's like a to do like a sports analogy if you're a football team scouting your opponent and learning oh yeah this is what they do these this is their tendencies or a, a fighter in mma they this is how he likes to attack you um yeah just getting that perspective from the other side that's interesting This quote from C.S. Lewis, um, 
in the book, whenever they say the enemy, the demons are addressing God, God the Father. And this quote right here, I have put it in my heart. And it, it says, the enemy wants to bring the man to a state of mind in which he could design the best cathedral in the world and know it to be the best and rejoice in the fact. You know, there's nothing wrong with being happy whenever you, you do good work. Nothing wrong with, you know, God created the world and he rested on the, on the, on the sixth day. There's nothing wrong with being happy in what you do. Mm -hmm. Now rejoice in that fact without being any more or less or otherwise glad at having done it than he would have been if it had been done by another. Mm -hmm. So if he didn't make the cathedral and somebody else, he'd be just as happy and marvel in it mm -hmm. if he had done it or if another had done it. The enemy wants him in the end to be so free from any bias in his own favor that he can rejoice in his own talents as frankly and gratefully as in his neighbor's talents or in a sunrise or an elephant or a waterfall. That's where I want to be, at least. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying everybody else has to be there. I'm just saying that I want to be there. I want to be free from any bias in my own favor. And I want to be able to rejoice in the talents of others, frankly and gratefully, as if I was rejoicing in my own, to be that true. Mm -hmm. That's where I'm hoping to be. It's so hard to do, though, when that pride starts getting in the way, that pride starts creeping in and that little voice inside tells you that oh, you could have done that. You could do that better. Or like you said, in, instead of like celebrating like somebody's great accomplishment, that yeah, it's a uh, it's tough. And the the interesting thing is, we get a shot at how to overcome that that pride right there. We need to be humble, think of others as better than ourselves. Don't look at only for our own interests, but take an interest in others too. That's what we commanded to do. And this is what Paul says here. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Now, we, we know a lot of people that thump their chest. Um, don't you know who I am? You don't know me? I'm such and such, so-and-so. Well, I'm this, I'm that. I'm the CEO of this company. Or I'm fill in the blank. Whatever reason that people have to puff themselves up. Well, here's something for all of us. Our attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, though he was God. Though Jesus was God, he did not think that equality with God was something to grab a hold of. While he was here on earth, while he was down here with his created creatures, human beings, he left the form of, of being God to take on the form of his creation. Now, for some of us, we might kind of read that and gloss over it. You know, just gloss over that. Mm -hmm. 
but we know, and we have probably done the same thing. We tried to flex. We tried, we tried to flex on other people for either impressing them or we want to put them in their place. We all do it. <laughs> we might do it several times a day, even on an interpersonal level. Mm-hmm. It's funny, too, because there's like levels to it as well. There, there's some that are very upfront um, about their flexes um, and just uh, very in your face about it. And then there's the others that are like, uh, I guess you would call more pretentious uh, type flexes. And uh, they don't seem as braggadocious um, on the surface, but really all their actions uh, say the opposite. Um, and I, I definitely get caught up in it as well. I think about, you know, some of my time there working at the prison and there's a, there's a lingo that some of the staff would use. We would tell somebody we'll change your address. And what, what that means is you you'll have an inmate moved somewhere else. Let's say the inmate is living in one one unit, and uh, you go through the proper channels and you get to move to another unit. And that was you know power that some people at certain levels had. And uh, <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. facing that same you know so- struggle myself. Yeah. So do you get caught up in using that discipline in a tender and compassionate and learning way? Or do you get caught up in a prideful flexing of power way? Um, and sometimes in, in your your day to day, especially if uh, you're struggling with something and you don't have as much patience, patience as you should, um, your angle isn't always going to be with a tender heart and with compassion, like it should be. Well, you know, for me, I would always think, what is the what is the repercussions if I administer this power here? First off, am I even justified in it, or is it just some type of flex, um, or some or some type of way to get revenge on somebody that you don't like? Mm. You know, that goes everywhere. I mean, that can be in any type of position. That can be people that's sitting on city councils or, you know, somebody that's uh, your supervisor or you're the supervisor at, you know, Walmart or wherever, you know, any type of place. You know, we, we always, we all, we all chasing status in some form, mm-hmm. just to be honest. We all are. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the real crux of it is what type of status are you chasing after? We have, we have the God man who came down to earth, who turned himself, really turned himself into a human being, lived the life of a human being, suffered and endured what human beings suffer and endured, getting sick, running nose, mm-hmm. um, all the type of sicknesses that we have. And it says he took he took the humble position of a slave. How many of us would give up? I don't know. Let's say if 
somebody had a position of being Nikola, not Nikola Tesla, but um, Elon Musk, <laughs> richest man in the world. Mm -hmm. How many of us really would, you know, give up that status? And it's really nothing whenever you think about it in the grand schemes of, of the Christian worldview. Mm -hmm. We're told to beware of the deceitfulness of riches. How many of us were really to give up our position that we may have to do what God asked us to do? To, to be humble, to, to truly be under the lordship of Jesus Christ, to Jesus is a king. All the all the other you know great thinkers of political science, uh, stretching all the way back to the Greek thinkers, Thomas Jefferson. They've said that the best form of government is a benevolent king, and not one of us on this planet is that. No, Jesus is the benevolent king. And we have to come to the position where we must realize that we are his servant. And, you know, sometimes whenever God puts us through a test, we get a little angry. But we got to realize that he can do whatever he wants to do with us. Mm -hmm. And if there's a test for you, there's a reason for that. Think about all the movies that we've watched. Um, there's always, you know, the story that the hero needs to go through these trials. I just think about the Odyssey. All the stuff that Odysseus had to go through in order to get to the, the goal that he was trying to get to. Mm -hmm. God has a right to test us. And we must understand that if we want to get to the next level, we have to go through the test. And then after once you pass that test, there's another test coming right behind it. Go ahead and make your peace with it. Just go ahead and make your peace with it. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Jesus was not crucified as a common criminal. You cut off a criminal's hand. He was given the supreme punishment, punishment reserved for the enemies of the Roman Empire when they wanted to make an example of, of someone. So Jesus humbled himself. He gave up all of his rightly having authority, splendor, and privilege to come down here and take the form of a man. And he had more of it to give up than any of us. You could say, oh, my, my dad's the CEO of this, or you don't know who my family is. You don't know what we've done. Uh, you don't know who my wife is. You don't know who my husband is. That uh, <laughs> humbling yourself to that stuff is is nothing um, compared to. <laughs> though he was he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. Yeah, that is <laughs> much more to give up than anybody here has ever done. Whenever we are dealing with our brothers and sisters in, in the faith, whenever we're dealing with people that don't belong to our faith, in our actions, in the things that we do, 
this to, to me, this is my opinion. This is the bedrock right here. Mm. That you, what, whatever you do, your attitude need to be the same as Jesus Christ, who had all of this and what you got. What do you have? Just as you said, he had a whole lot more to give up. So that mm. should put things into perspective for us. It should put everything into perspective for us. And in my opinion, it should be the motivation for us to continue to walk this walk in faith. And also with this, you know, this, this last three verses here, because of the attitude that Jesus had, God did this. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him a name above all other names, that the name of Jesus Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He had to endure some suffering for, for a while. But now he has eternal glory. And we also participate and will share in this glory if we continue to walk and overcome the world. Now, I'm going to get into this last bit here. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I am away, it's even more important. Now, yeah, you know, as they say, when the cat's away, the mice will play. And in this case, I'm sure all kinds of, uh, you know, false teachers, demonic influence would come and, and try to lead the Philippians away from their pure faith. In order for us to do that, we got to work hard to show the results of our salvation. Obeying God in deep reverence and fear. I think this is this is I don't know if it's a part of our culture. Maybe maybe you can chime in on this. Okay. Our our resistance to the word obey. I don't, I don't know if it's a cultural thing. And even myself, whenever, you know, of course, obviously I'm black, um, you know, coming across the word slave, <laughs> you know, that word yeah. is a different type of connotation for me. Yeah. As there's a whole lot of different emotions wrapped up in that word. Um, you know, most people won't say this, but there's, there's shame mm. that a lot of people feel. Um, you know, people don't people that don't, you know, they don't talk about it out loud. Right. But amongst the sales, we, we we already know. Um, and we already have to endure, you know, some things when it comes to, to race. Most people don't understand that. That's okay. So I, when I see that word, yeah, it, there is a little bit of, um, you know, resistance to, to seeing that. But I know that our God does, does not like the way that human beings have treated other human beings. And he, he doesn't see that right. And he doesn't see that as right. Well, I definitely, it's, yeah, it's definitely part of our culture and just ingrained in us and human nature. I mean, look at the very beginning with Adam and Eve and obeying. They had one thing. They, uh, they, ha they had everything. They had everything, but uh, didn't want to obey um, or had a desire not to. Maybe that's 
Maybe that's what it is. Um, and and we still do that to this day. One of my professors, um, he's he stated like the the what the Satan does. He tries to to you know put in a little divide in in Genesis, it's the serpent accusing God to man. Hmm. He went there and he was like, did God say this? No, you can't trust him. Hmm. And then Job, it's flipped. It's the Satan accusing man to God. No, this guy Job, no, he don't love you, man. The only reason he's following you is because you treat him good. Take away all the goodies and he'll curse you. That's the same trick. It's the same trick every time. Trying to find ways to get into your heart and mind to create a separation between you and God to where you're going to carry off doing other things instead of soldiering on in obedience. And so much of it, as we're talking about this, my mind, the gears are spinning in my mind. Uh, so much of it is based on uh, temporary pleasure, temporary relief. But so much of disobedience is based on that. And then after that temporary relief or pleasure is gone, um, there you're long-term in a much worse spot, but we take that easy way out for that just like short, quick, uh, temporary pleasure, um, which in the long run does us no good. No, it usually, it produces a crop that leads to death, as it says. Hmm. You know, when you go off and you get into those things that give us that, that quick, you know, satisfaction and feedback it just turns into something just more dark and sinister mm -hmm. yeah it feels good yeah i'm happy but man afterwards it's like man i wish i never did that mm -hmm. in verse 13 it says obey god earlier obey god why? For God is working in you, giving you the desire. Now, this is the this is the thing that we always run into. We want we want the feelings to be there, so the actions will be there. That's not the case. First come the actions, then come the feelings. So, all right, now we know that. First come the actions, then come the feelings. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power. I mean, how many Christians just feel powerless? I mean, we show up to church. Maybe we have a little devotional. I read my Bible on Sunday. And when, I, when I'm making this little characterization here, I want everybody to know that I've done the same thing. Just make the check marks off. And even, I mean, even your your pastor, your preacher, elder, they go through the same struggle that everybody else. The word says that Jesus was tempted in every way. So you think that your elder pastor and 
uh, the teacher, your Sunday school teacher is not going to go through the same thing. <laughs> we all do. But God is going to give us the power to live this holy life. It says it right here. I'm looking at it. Anybody else looking at this text? It says that he's given you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to say that I believe God. I believe that despite of my emotions, despite of my situation, I'm going to believe that he is going to give me the desire to be pure. He's going to give me the power to be pure. He's going to give me the desire to have the attitude of Christ. He's going to give me the power to have that same attitude that Christ has. Yeah, what, what what reading that tells me is that we are all capable of it. Now, are, do we fail? Do we stumble? Yes. But every single one of us are capable and have that inside of us. I, you know, I think, in, I don't know if it's been our history, uh, you know, during the Catholic Church's, uh, you know, reign, where only the, the clergy read from the word and the people were given whatever... The, the particular clergy thought that they should give them. I mean, first off, they forbade people to read. So that just tells me everything. <laughs> you know, we have this, this culture now that, you know, this, this ministry stuff is for, for preachers and for other folks, not for me. I just show up to church. Then I'm good. No, that's not the case. That is not the case. Every one of us has a work that God has ordained for each of us to do and we have to do it or you're going to be sick <laughs> you will be sick i promise you that do everything without complaining and arguing oh man i'm about to fall out of my chair right now do everything not 50 percent, not 70 percent, but do everything without complaining and arguing I feel like my mind just been blown. So re reading this right now, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling a, like a spotlight put on me. So one of the things I'm trying to be more aware of, so it says do everything without complaining and arguing. Okay. Even like I have an, my own internal like arguments in my own internal complaining. So even if I am putting on this like nice face, oftentimes I catch myself. I'm like, no, you actually are complaining about this situation you are you're in. I'm like, I'm having, they call it like shower thoughts where you're having an argument with somebody that you didn't even have in person. Uh, but, but you're wrapping your mind around that. And so like, even if I'm not outwardly expressing these complaints and I'm not, outwardly arguing like I'm my soul is still doing that oftentimes and so that's one of the things that I've been trying to do lately is just check myself check my like internal thoughts like even if I'm putting on a good face and it seems like I'm not complaining it seems like I'm not arguing like if I catch myself internally doing that I try to check myself and and push that out as well Yeah, I'm thinking about that, too, in my own life. Uh, you know, sometimes 
we can we can get caught up on the things that we don't have and that that makes like a feedback of you know man i need this man i need that and instead of taking it to god that you need it we just you know keep it in our minds we fester on it <coughs> or you know to the arguing part you know, maybe we, we had a little altercation with spouse or friend or relative or acquaintance or stranger. And, you know, the first reason we feel that is, hey, you can't do me like that. <laughs> and the reason, you know, we feel that way is, hey, I'm somebody. Mm -hmm. But uh, obviously there there are some nuance there whenever... You have to stand up for yourself on some things. Because if you can't stand up for yourself, how can you stand up for other people? Right. But in saying this, do everything without complaining. You know, you know some folks is probably on the job with you. No matter what you're doing, they always complain. Maybe it's you, maybe it's me. I've been that person <laughs> complaining. Or arguing, you know, me arguing, I like to sharpen my mind. And it's usually some academic argument. But here, this type of argument mm -hmm. is, is the one where you're having a, ver a verbal fight. Yeah, there's definitely a productive arguing, and then there's definitely a destructive and toxic arguing. I'm going to stay away from that toxic arguing mm -hmm. as much as I can because, man, it'll just bring your mm -hmm. whole day down. To, I mean, that cloud that's over Eeyore then left him came over to me. <laughs> yeah, well, I hate to use another sports analogy, but uh, I work with students. I've coached teams before, and you see it oftentimes, especially in a, a team setting. If you just have one uh, member who is – always arguing, always complaining. Um, it starts to infect others. Um, it starts to infect the chemistry of others. Um, it starts to affect them on and off the field and court. It's just a, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a destructive thing. I mean, just, I'm just thinking about it even from a simple point of view. Okay. I'm a, I'm a open up here and let, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let people know me okay so I'm at, I'm at work it's a 12 hour shift I'm a fat boy okay <laughs> after I had a bad day of work I'm looking forward to going home and having some of those chocolate chip cookies mm -hmm. with some organic milk <laughs> <laughs> Okay, and so I'm I'm it's a thirty-five mile drive okay. from work to home. And so I'm thinking about it the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> and um I I get to the house, the cookies are there, but there ain't no organic milk. Oh no. And and then I'll I'll turn it into some type of argument. Hey, I like to keep you know, things well stocked in the house. <laughs> and, uh, you know, really, 
um, it could have been, I'd have been just as happy to, you know, have it with just some regular milk instead of the organic milk, even though the organic <laughs> Yeah, but you, you let yourself get weak because you had this long day, all the, and so you let something so stupid as organic milk turn into an <laughs> argument. And I'm laughing with you because I, I, I've done the same thing a hundred times over and, and and what's always real embarrassing is or humbling is apologizing it for it afterwards. Just how how silly you feel. Uh, one of my uh, mentors, he would always say, you know, in dealing with those close interpersonal relationships, and you get into an argument with someone, he said, "Is it really going to matter in twenty four hours? Is what you're arguing about really going to matter in twenty? Now, if it if it is going to matter in 24 hours, that's a serious situation. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, whoever you are, whether it be friend, brother, sister, relative, co-worker, you need to find a way to be constructive about it. Mm -hmm. But if it's not, everybody just need to shut up, move on. Yeah, if it's not going to affect you in, in 24 hours, you're not arguing because of the actual point. You're not arguing because of the organic milk. You're arguing because something else. Yeah. You're, you're wanting that argument. You're craving that argument. I don't know if we're like, you know, some of us might be addicted to that type of, I mean, you see it in, in, you know, the way the social media is and just our <laughs> culture today, you know, we, we don't extend grace to one another. We want other people to extend that grace to us, but we never extend it to other people. Um, whenever somebody makes a mistake, we want to dunk on them. Mm -hmm. But hey, whenever we want a mistake, hey, uh, I made a whittled mistake. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. We we want we want that. We want people to treat us like that, but we don't do it. Well, that uh, goes back to the the screw tablers quote. I mean. We want, we want to celebrate our accomplishments oftentimes, but if someone else did that same accomplishment, we feel a jealousy. We, we, when we need to be celebrating their accomplishment, same thing. Like if someone else messes up, oh, it's my, my chance to dunk on them, make myself look better in front of this coworker or whatever, instead of like, Hey, I understand. Guess who else has messed up? I have messed up. I'm going to show you grace because I know that feeling that you're going through. And I don't want you to feel that. Um, and it's a struggle. But we're going to get there because God said that he's working, he's working in us and he's given us the desire and the power to do what pleases him. It's right there. I believe it. I believe he's going to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, we talked about complaining here for a couple of minutes and arguing. And, the, you know, the next part right here, he says, do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Mm. Oh, man, Corey, <laughs> he, uh, he handles his business, man. He don't cause <laughs> trouble with anybody. If it come down to do something, he's there to help. He's, he's always lifting everybody's spirits up. When when we're all down and we all want to feel in the dumps, 
he you know he brings in the joy that's what i hope uh people are seeing that's the life i need to be living for him i hope that too i hope it for myself i hope it for all those who call upon the name of jesus christ so we got to leave clean and innocent lives as children of god shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people i like your christ but not your christian mm. i'm gonna keep I'm, saying I'm, it over and I'm, over yeah yeah i mean that's that quote is just yeah spot on um i'm gonna rewind you for a second i'm gonna go back to that do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you so imagine imagine that person that you see that is always complaining and arguing they are always going through that now they mess up everybody is looking to dunk on them now now if you're the humble person if you're uh being compassionate if you're showing grace and then you mess up just like it says right here so that no one can criticize you people aren't looking to dunk on you now you're always going to have some people going out after you you know that but you are not putting a target on your back um, because you have been that grace-filled person you are that person extending your hand um so i that just stuck out to me all right let's let's go back to where you were all right live clean innocent lives as children of god shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people is that where we were yeah brother yeah, I'm glad you added that uh, that that little cliff note right there because yeah. that, that added a new perspective to me. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, we uh, moving on. Hold firmly to the word of life. That's the that's the thing right there. We got to hold firmly to the word of life, and you got to hold firmly to the word of life. I have to hold firmly to it, regardless of who betrays me. Regardless of if my favorite pastor found, we found out that he was living a double life. That don't concern me. And I, I, want, I want to be straight honest, folks. It don't concern you. Mm -hmm. And you don't have a right to use that as an excuse to walk away from the faith. You don't. And that's why you should not put all of this faith and praise you shouldn't put it on the shoulders of a human being like because guess what like we've talked about someone is going to mess up they are going to mess up but your your power doesn't come from that person it doesn't come from that teacher that mentor whatever they might inspire you they might teach you things but they are another human like you they are going to mess up so if you do put your power and your faith in actual god and and not just someone at, at your church not not someone that you've read then you don't have to worry about being let down to the point where you walk away and i'm yeah. saying i'm 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 saying that from a pretty close experience you know i find it i find it interesting because i i had this same kind of experience and this what uh you know caused me to to be the way that I was during that time in my life, you know, being an overall hater of God. Mm -hmm. um, it's because this, I'm from Northeast Texas. Um, and so I'd get, I'd get to hanging around some Christian folks and they'd be like, you know, God don't like the mixing of the races. It's a sin. Mm 
And I'm wondering, well, I'm a multiracial person that identifies as black. So am I going to hell because I'm mixed? I don't want nothing to do with your God. I mean, that's the honest reason. Man, that. yeah. I mean, that I'm I'm going to go to hell for simply being born mixed race. Mm. And uh, definitely, I mean, I hate to say it like that, but that person right there missed the mark. Yeah. So something extremely important to me, um, especially within the past, like, two to three years, I'd say, is just like being what's the word I'm looking for holding people of your same belief systems accountable instead of pointing fingers at others and saying what other groups are doing wrong like kind of like policing your own and so if you see a someone who proclaims himself as Christian doing things the complete opposite of being Christ-like like I, it is our responsibility to step in and fix that or correct it, I believe, um, because it, it's so harmful. It's so dangerous. I mean, look what it did to you um, when it's teaching the exact opposite of what a Christ-like love is. Sorry for the little tangent. Um, I love tangents. <laughs> <laughs> I love them. That's where all the good stuff is. Mm -hmm. I agree. You know, um, and I'm, we should be uh, closing here pretty soon. But I wanted to just bring back the focus to how God has laid out for us a simple way of doing things. And especially in this text right here. Paul is appealing to us, hey, have you received any benefit from this? Well, you still got a little bit more area to grow. And also, you know, last week's text, Paul talked about uh, these two fellow workers who were in the faith that worked hard with him, that labored in love for the gospel. And he said, whose names are written in the book of life. And he, he beseeched them to squash whatever issue they were having. And in Jesus laid out for us how we are supposed to deal with our brothers and sisters, particularly want somebody that's done something wrong against you. And people need to remember, you're going to do things wrong to others as well. That comes to the humility part right there, mm -hmm. realizing that we, that I'm going to make a mistake too. I'm going to miss the mark. I'm going to hurt someone. Even though I don't want to, there's just something in us. I want to minimize it the most I can. And in order to do that, I gotta I gotta really be interested in other human beings. Mm -hmm. I gotta really be interested in building them up, not enabling them to continue on that fleshly life. And Jesus says that um, you know, we're supposed to approach that brother one on one. God doesn't want us to air out people's dirty laundry in public like that. Mm -hmm. Wrong. He wants us to come one-on-one -on -one and talk to one another and try to help build them out. And if that person will listen to you, then you bring two people and have that conversation with them. 
Then if that person's still doing on, then you bring them before the elders. Uh, most of the time, people just want to go straight to the nuke option and blow out, mm. air out all those folks' dirty laundry. That's not the way he's supposed to do it. It says Joseph was a godly man. He was trying to divorce Mary quietly. He didn't want to bring shame on her, even though she. Uh, it seemed to him that he might have betrayed her by them being betrothed to one another, and she's pregnant. That's a big betrayal right there. Mm -hmm. I mean, especially for the men of ancient times, you know, raising another man's children that are not your own. You know, most people didn't want to do that. Mm -hmm. I think some people don't want to do that today, but that's neither here nor there. Mm -hmm. But he decided to want to divorce her quietly. And God called him righteous for that. In our interpersonal relationships with one another, and especially when we're dealing with conflict, one of the the key focus is for us is to maintain the dignity of the other human being, mm. even mm -hmm. though we are in conflict. Are your hearts tender and compassionate? That's, that's what that says to me. Like, are you coming at this for, with a tender heart? Are you coming at it from a compassionate angle? If you're nuking it, if you're blowing it up, if you're airing, all the dirty laundry out there and you're just <laughs> going from zero to 100 and the blink of an eye. Is that really a tender heart? Is that really coming from a compassionate angle? It is. I, I mean, if you go on straight nuclear option, mm -hmm. but you know, there's some, I'm, there's some terrible things that have happened to people. And it seems that the nuclear option is the only option. Uh, especially when those terrible things like acts of violence and stuff like that, those would be, you know, those type of exceptions. Of course, we have to get other people involved, but mm -hmm. mainly in this, this interpersonal, you know, fellow Christian, other fellow Christian, and and even non-believers, because it says, you know, if we do this, if we do things without complaining, if we do it without arguing, nobody can criticize us. That's a promise there. Mm -hmm. And I, I'd like to close this here with something that echoes similar to our message from last week about not worrying and to be full of joy. Paul talks about joy in the, the last verse there. And we, the world is just, it's a sad place. There's a lot of dark things that I've seen. And... Um, I just can't imagine how another human being could do the things that I've seen and heard other human beings do to one another. And if you contemplate on it, they say with the, the wiser you get, the more sorrow that you have. <laughs> so I don't know if I want to ask God for wisdom. <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, being a little facetious. Yes, God, please give me a written. And I'll deal with the sorrow. I'll deal with the sorrow because you said that you're going to give me joy. You're going to give me peace as it passes all understanding. And in this world that's fallen, and there's all kinds of destruction, disease, and sadness. I want something that truly lasts, true peace and true joy to where 
I'm not worried if the if the Texas Rangers wins the World Series for me to be happy. You don't have to worry about that. You're good. <laughs> oh. We don't have to worry about any type of temporal external circumstance, but mm -hmm. everything that comes that we show the world, this joy that we show the world, it comes from within us through God's Holy Spirit. And it is everlasting. And the well never runs dry. I want that for myself. And if you want it, I hope that you receive that blessing as well. That's good stuff. I think that's a good note to end on. Well, hopefully next week we'll be talking a little bit about adversity and how the adversity and the suffering that we must endure is, is important to our faith and walk with Jesus Christ. Well, to everyone that joined us, to you, my brother, I ask that God's grace and peace be with you. Have a great day, great evening, great night. Glad you're here with us, guys. Signing off.